ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We are two days away from kickoff between East Carolina and Michigan. We're live on YouTube, live on Facebook. Check us out there. Give us a question. You want to talk Pirates, Wolverines, what to expect this Saturday. Also, if you just want to talk college football in general, uh, if you want to talk Major League Baseball playoff race, I'm all, uh, all welcome to do that as well as a Seattle Mariners fan as they keep rolling. But we'll stick, of course, to mainly ECU and I had a great conversation with Cliff Galvin yesterday talking some Pirate baseball, but we're now full bore into Pirate football on this Thursday, August 31st edition of Hoist the Colors. Just 48 hours away from kickoff, man. It's hard to believe I'll be heading to Ann Arbor tomorrow. Uh, We will have a show tomorrow, by the way. Joe Sampson will be back. We'll continue our roundtable discussion along with Philip Pilkinson, who's producing today and will be producing tomorrow's show. But uh, of course, we'll have pregame coverage on Saturday as well and coverage tomorrow. And the Logan Zone returns tomorrow evening as well on 94.3 The Game and the Interbanks Media, other platforms out there as well. Download the IBX Media app. Subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Facebook so you can follow all of our shows. All right, let's get to today's guest. He's back, Bobby Harward. And it's been a few weeks, Bobby, but uh, and, and look, admittedly, we had to bump you out of your normal Wednesday slot for Cliff Goblin, so I apologize for that. But when we get a, a, A-list guest, we got to get him in here when we can. Uh, but welcome back, Bobby. And we said last time we had you on, uh, and we are going to have you on pretty much weekly throughout the year, that we'd be that much closer to kickoff. We're now two days away, and uh, hard to believe, right? I can't believe it's finally game week. Uh, games are on tonight too i'm pumped i'm excited i already kind of prepped my wife and let her know that i'll be watching some football tonight yeah you you have to this time of year and uh, uh you know that's one of those conversations with my wife i'm already busy enough covering ecu she gets mad at me over that if i have to drop on oh yeah by the way babe there's thursday night football uh i'm i'm keeping it secret low-key right now but when, when I turn the TV on later, going to try to sneak some football on. And uh, whether I have to go up to my man cave to do that or not remains to be seen. But um, exciting times, man. We'll get into the schedule tonight. You know, Thursday night, there is some some pretty good matchups. NC State, UConn, Florida, Utah, Nebraska, Minnesota. We'll talk about that uh, towards the, the latter half of your appearance. Again, Bobby Harward's uh, segment today brought to you by Sup Dogs. Check them out. You guys know the deal. Downtown Greenville, back-to-back. Barstool Best Bar winners, one of the best spots to eat at in Greenville. They'll be with us all season long as well, uh, presenting Bobby Harward's segments. And Bobby, a former uh, staff member on the ECU football team, has great insight, joins us on our podcasts often. We like like to get into the X's and O's, what to expect. So if you got a question on that standpoint, let us know. YouTube tweeted us on uh, X, as they call it now. And uh, lots of... I guess lots of jitters from ECU's perspective heading into this game Saturday. I've had a lot of fans message me that they're nervous about Saturday, and maybe they need to listen to Bobby or uh, to, to Donnie Kirkpatrick's comments from yesterday, Bobby, which we'll play in a little bit. But um, he's kind of like, man, you know, we're getting paid a lot of money to play this game. Let's just see what happens. Let's roll it out there and see what happens. But uh, what what are your overall feelings as we get closer to kickoff? 
you know, two days out at this point on ECU's chances? Is it kind of a nothing-to-lose situation, or do, do they have a lot to, to lose in this situation? Well, the first word that comes to my mind is excitement. I think, especially from a player's perspective, from a coaching staff perspective, you know, you're, you're tired of going against the same people over and over and over again. You know, a few weeks in, you're starting to get the trash talk of, oh, you know the plays, you know the plays, kind of when offense is stopping the deep or, you know, scoring on the defense and vice versa. And so now you get to go against a new opponent, uh, somebody else, a different color jersey. So that's exciting, um, especially for this young pirate team. There's so much you know, inexperience and newcomers on this roster, uh, especially in the secondary. Uh, you got a new quarterback. You essentially got all new new offensive weapons outside of Rajay Harris. So just a lot of excitement and intrigue of what is this two, 2023 ECU Pirates team going to look like? I think, honestly, I don't know if we'll get the full picture here in week one against such a strong opponent, but it is going to see. it's going to be good to see how they match up. Yeah, and you know, I guess the good news is too, if you're ECU, if you're looking for an advantage from the standpoint of maybe Michigan doesn't know quite what to expect, ECU would seemingly have that edge. How much that matters, how long that lasts, I don't know. ECU, I would think, would kind of know what to expect. Michigan has most of its personnel returning on both sides of the ball. Uh, they will have a different play caller. We'll get into that here shortly. But do you think there's any advantage, Bobby, of ECU's? You know, basically, the offensive personnel is essentially being reset entirely. And how much do you think maybe that helps ECU at least to start with? I think there is an advantage because you have tape on these guys. You can see kind of some of their tendencies. You can see what they like to do offensively last season. Um, so there is an advantage from that standpoint. But still, I mean, I was reading some stuff this morning. I know they relied heavy on the run game last year, but now with McCarthy having a year under his belt, maybe they start trying to open up the uh, passing game down the field. So they could try to open up those things uh, this week, but it is helpful from being able to see on a film standpoint, hey, you got some tendencies, you know, especially from a defensive perspective. If you're looking at those offensive line stances and those sort of things, maybe some swing the wide receivers for rock combinations, those things that you can see on film will be helpful. No doubt. Lots to look forward to from, from that standpoint. And then when you look at Michigan, and I've kind of had this conversation with people around ECU's program, outside of the program, obviously Jim Harbaugh will not be on the sideline with the self-imposed suspension, so your head coach won't be there. Now, he will coach all the way through the week of practice, and I think that's something that basically he's going to have a heavy hand in the game plan, whether he's there or not. Their offensive coordinator and their O-line coach, uh, the same person, uh, will not be there. He's, he's been the, the position coach for the best offensive line, Joe Moore Award winner the past two years. He will not be in the stadium nor on campus along with Jim Harbaugh. So they are delegating the offensive play calling duties to uh, their quarterback's coach, who was previously the OC at Old Dominion. How much of a I don't know. Is, is this a factor, Bobby, or is th does this only become a factor if East Carolina keeps the game close, you know, going to the second half? I think it's a factor from the get-go, to be honest with you. I, of course, you know, if ECU is able to pull the upset, that's kind of what Michigan fans will, you know, lean on of, hey, our head coach was missing, our play caller was missing. But I do think it's a factor. You think from a team standpoint, you know, Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan for a while, and this is a veteran team, uh, and they – 
have a routine on the sidelines during game day. They know they have a leader that they can look to. That leader is not there. And even their offensive leader is gone and their offensive coordinator and play caller. Um, I don't know if it's as big of a factor from a play calling standpoint in the sense that the guy, the, uh, the quarterback coach that will be calling plays has play calling experience, you know, at the division one level, but he's still going to be new uh, calling plays to Michigan. So I'm, I'm sure from a Michigan standpoint, having time to prep for this and stuff uh, will, will help soften the blow for them. But I think from a standpoint of looking at the players uh, on the Michigan sideline, when they face adversity, um, you know, they're not going to have their head ball coach to turn to. So I, I do think there'll be a factor there. Yeah. I just think if, if ECU can keep this thing, you know, even going to the, you know, if, if you're going to halftime and you're kind of looking for that rah-rah speech and maybe ECU's hanging around or, or even leading, you know, at that point, maybe it starts to hit the players. Well, you know, who do we turn to now? And they do have a pretty veteran team, which maybe will allow them to overcome it. But it's it's just another distraction potentially that could play in ECU's favor. Um, let, let's look at the the defensive side of the ball from East Carolina's standpoint first. We'll maybe do a, a quick preview here on offense and defense uh, with Bobby Harward, who's joining us. Uh, HTC analyst, his official title this year, uh, presented by Sub Dogs. So this ECU defense last year finished top 20 in the country in running yards allowed per game. They held team, I think, the three point teams to 3.4 yards per rush, 112 yards per game. Those are really, really strong numbers. Basically, that entire defensive line is back. There are new linebackers. The safeties are back, uh, you know, with Tegan Wilk and Julius Woods. So you have the majority of that run defense back. But we all know Michigan can absolutely just ground and pound teams to death and they're massive up front. So the, the biggest question I have for NCU's defensive standpoint is going through this game is can they hold their own in the running game? I'm not expecting ECU to shut Michigan down. I don't think that's possible. But can they at least hold their own enough, Bobby, to give themselves a chance to get off the field on third and medium and not just get gassed for seven, eight yards a pop? Uh, your, your thoughts there on, on that matchup? That, to me, is really going to be the matchup to- determines whether this game is even close or not, in my opinion. When you look across the board, uh, Michigan's offensive line, you got 6'5", 316, 6'6", 320. Their center, naturally a shorter position, 6'2", 301. And then your right side is 6'6", 6'6", 322, and 340 pounds. Compared to flip side, we got 6'1", 6'2", 260 pounds on the other side. So um, are those defensive linemen going to be able to hold up? The thing that gives me confidence is they're a senior experience group back there. They've had a lot of playing experience, um, a lot of veterans on that defensive front, so they won't be intimidated, I don't think, from Michigan's uh, size up front. Now, strength-wise, will they be able to hold their own? Um, the key to me, it's going to be interesting to see how Blake Harrell plays it. Is he going to do a lot of movement up front, trying to stunt guys into gaps and do some blitzes and those sort of things to stop the run? Or are they going to try to just hold up, go head-to-head, and hold their gaps and see if they can lighten the blow a little bit? That's what I'm intrigued I could see both sides of the argument there because if you tendency wise, I would prefer to stunt gaps and blitz, but then, you know, you're opening up the the lanes to get gashed there. If one of your guys gets washed or is out of gap. Yeah. That's the thing too. Mike Houston talked about throughout this week that if you basically, if you bust a a run fit or if you, if you get gapped, you're going to give up a big play against these guys because they're so good. So it's like, you know, you, you want to be aggressive, but in this environment, because you, you do, to a degree, you have nothing to lose. 
and you ideally maybe you try to get some TFLs to put them behind the chains and make mistakes, but you know, there's risk and reward that comes with that. So it's just, uh, I'm sure those are debates ECU's having. We know ECU's defense is very multiple. They do do a lot of movement trying to get, you know, teams out of their flow offensively. And uh, just really looking forward to, to seeing how ECU approaches. I think we'll know, Bobby, by the end of the drive one or two, if they can at least hold their own. I mean, that, that kind of speaks for itself right out the gate. Uh, passing defense. We, we had the show a couple weeks ago looking forward to guys we're seeing. You know, Siobhan Revel has been a little banged up at times this preseason, but he was back at practice this week, so he's going to play. And, uh, you know, Julius Wood, Columbus, Ohio native, I think he'll be fired up for this game. And we, we've talked so much about the run defense, but you also can't give up the big pass play. Like, if I'm Michigan, I'm going play-action bomb first series just to test ECU's secondary. So, uh, a lot of speed at Michigan, at wide receiver. What are you looking for on that side of the ball from the, the back end forward? You know, is it, is it just a matter of preventing the big play from J.J. McCarthy and company? I think so. Uh, I think so. And and can they just improve in last year? Because, I mean, they were 129 out of 131. There's a lot of new faces back there. How do they communicate together? How are the safeties talking to the corners? Now, thankfully, our safeties are the, the ones that are experienced. So the, and they're the ones doing most of the communication uh, with the defensive secondary. So that, that gives you hope. But I think from a physical standpoint, with Revels' size and some of these other guys' size and speed, I think you feel good about them being able to hold up physically against the Michigan receivers. But again, are, are they staying disciplined in their zone coverages? Um, are they staying disciplined, you know, when the ball's in the air, if they're in man coverage, not, you know, causing any PIs on those deep balls and those sort of things. So um, I'm excited to see how, how they've grown over this offseason. I think they uh, we will see an improved defensive secondary. Um but yeah, it's just a lot of unknown right now. You got some linebackers too that are going to have to help in that pass coverage, and they're going to be torn. You know, they're going to knowing Michigan's a run-heavy team, they they may be sitting up a little bit uh, closer to the line in terms of holding their ground before they drop into coverage to ensure pass. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see uh, this matchup. I know Michigan has not had to rely heavy on the pass game, so. Uh, we'll see kind of what their offensive game plan is. If they're just going to try to run it down our throats, see if they can do that. Or if, uh, to your point, I, I agree with you. I think they do try a, a, a deep play-action pass pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, I, I know they want to establish their will, impose their will. That's kind of what Michigan football is all about. But I would just be – I would be surprised if they just line up and try to – and maybe that they're just so good it doesn't matter. They can do that. Um and maybe that's what they'll do, and the ACU just can't stop it. But I would take a shot downfield against a, a very inexperienced secondary with a lot of moving parts if I'm Michigan. All right, let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about East Carolina's offense against this Michigan defense, what to expect, maybe dive into special teams. We'll also talk about the uh, the Thursday night football schedule, the week one football schedule outside of ECU and Michigan with Bobby Harward on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors, 94-3, the game. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Nice liner there from Mike Houston. I forgot we had that, to be honest. Uh, so glad to have supportive coach Houston. We'll get him back in the studio maybe later this year, maybe during the bye week. Uh, he's a little busy right now. Pirates heading to Ann Arbor tomorrow. All right, Bobby Harward is with us. We're back. Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game. Bobby presented by Sup Dogs. 
he'll be with us all season long. Usually on Wednesdays, we had to get Cliff Galvin in here uh, Wednesday, so uh, Bobby's joining us on this Thursday. And so we just talked about the East Carolina defense and kind of what to expect. And now my big question with this game, I mean, I have a lot of questions, uh, as I'm sure most people do, but can ECU score is is uh, the, the main one. Michigan is loaded on defense. They got eight of 11 guys back from a defense that only allowed 16 points per game last year. They're huge up front. And, you know, we can talk about the quarterback situation, but I don't even know if, if – the bigger question may be if the offensive line can just survive. Uh, but let's start at quarterback. I was going to play the cut from Donnie Kirkpatrick. I don't think we got it quite ready yet. So basically, Bobby, Donnie said yesterday, essentially East Carolina, they know what they're going to do. And in many ways, he was like, you guys, the media know what we're going to do. And that's probably start Mason Garcia. It's been kind of the plan for years now. So we know Garcia is most likely going to start, even if it hasn't been officially announced. He also said we're prepared to play three quarterbacks, and he said if there's a game to play two quarterbacks the same play, this would be the game because ECU is getting paid $1.8 million for a reason. They're huge underdogs. So your thoughts, is he just throwing stuff out there to make Michigan just like, you know, head spin, or what are your thoughts on those comments? First of all, I love Donnie Kirkpatrick. I think he's he's awesome. Uh, he, uh, yeah, I, I think he's just kind of throwing all stuff, kind of stuff against the wall and sick, and uh, maybe trying to to throw Michigan off just a little bit. But I, I think he's really just having fun in the press conference, in a way, trying to lighten the mood for his guys. He's probably in that same mode um, in the meeting rooms as well, trying to you know, it's the first game. The team's going to be uptight. They're a little excited playing somebody new, playing the number two ranked team in the country. But he wants to do everything he can to loosen them up help them to have fun because they have nothing to lose this week and they are massive underdogs and they got a lot to prove a lot of new uh, personnel offensively so just go out and have fun and play loose assuming Mason Garcia gets the start what are what are expect like what are expectations for him what are fair expectations or should we just not have any expectations and watch the game as it is I want to say uh, just enjoy and watch the game as it is. But as a human, we're going to have expectations. Uh, trying to remember and keep things in perspective. I think I said this the last time I was on your show, Stephen. But, I mean, all we've heard the last few years is Mason Garcia, Mason Garcia, just all the potential that is there. Uh, remembering as fans, this is really going to be his first live bullets as a starting quarterback. Um, for me, what I want to see is how he does in the run game. I'm not necessarily looking as much as in the passing game. I know he's the quarterback and he's responsible for throwing the football. But to your point uh, earlier when we came back from the break here, Michigan's massive up front. And we got a lot of new faces on the offensive line. I'm not uh, very confident we'll be able to hold up for, you know, three, four seconds to throw, take those shots down the field. I think we'll see a lot of the RPO game. Um, and a lot of Mason Garcia running the football as well. So I really just want to see how he manages the game and how he does running the football. I want to get to kind of judging him and, and raising my expectations for him as a passer uh, after week one here. I think that's a very good point because I feel like there may be a day where Mason Garcia is a more of a drop-back passer and can survey the field and throw the football. But the combination of Michigan's O-line – and just where this offense is right now, I don't think you can do that. I mean, maybe if you're having an extended drive and you get Michigan's defense on its heels, 
your defensive line, their defensive line is a little tired. Maybe at that point you can try, you know, a deeper routes. But if you go out there first series, just dropping back, throwing the football, and I don't think UC would do this, but um, I, I just think it's going to be very tough, especially for these. I feel pretty good about the interior offensive line, but I think tackle is a question mark for me, uh, just in terms of depth. Like I think Parker Moore can definitely play, and Hampton Ergel can play, but beyond that, I'm worried. And you don't want to get those guys hurt. Also, Hampton has played a lot of center, and it sounds like he's going to play some right tackle due to the you know lack of tackle depth. So, um, you know, what type of push, if any? can ECU get in the run game in this one or is it more you're just going to have to run the football or get creative with the quarterback to get that extra blocker just to have a chance to move the football because uh, I don't know if this is the week Rajay Harris goes off for 100 yards in his return just because to me there's not going to be a lot of holes up there agreed I think I think you're going to have to utilize a quarterback run game like you said get an extra hat an extra blocker uh the other thing i think you'll see a lot of is a lot of rpos i think uh you know that's one less man you have to block because the quarterback's reading that guy on the defense uh whoever they you know circle and, and is the the read guy on the defensive end that's one less man they're responsible for uh and We'll see. I, I'm not super optimistic, like you said, that they'll get, you know, over 100 yards rushing game. But if they can get, you know, 70 plus yards, if they can manage the game, hold on to their foot, hold on to the football, burn some clock, uh, you know, give the defense a rest, too, because the defense is going to have quite a battle ahead of them. It's really going to need complementary football at its finest for them to have a chance to win this game, in my opinion. Uh, they're both offense, defense, special teams. They're all going to have to play really cohesive and you really, you know, offensively, you just got to not turn the ball over and milk the clock to give yourselves a chance. Yeah. So like on one hand, it's like, all right, you can't go in there. You can't turn it over and give them free points. But on the other hand, you also have to be like, well, you got to take some shots too, because you're, you're an underdog and you almost have nothing to lose. So there, I think there is a balance there to strike, Bobby. But I, you know, that, I, that's why the coaches get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in Mike, Mike Houston's case, millions of dollars, um, to make those decisions. And you know, we saw ECU against South Carolina a couple years ago. First play of the game, trick play, touchdown bomb to Josiah Hatfield. You know, I'm not saying I have seen any trick plays this preseason, but I know they have it in the bag, and I've seen it in past years. So. Uh, what are the odds of some sort of trick play, whether it be special teams, offense, uh, specifically in this game? 100%. 100% chance you'll see a trick play. Um, and, and maybe Donnie was being honest when he said you'll see two quarterbacks on the field. I could see that. Um, I do think you have to take a shot. You have to do some trickery to, to stay in the game, uh, you know, whether it's just – you know, a simple reverse play. I'm always a little hesitant with the, the special teams trick plays because so much could go wrong and it can completely alter a game. But I do think you'll see at least one or two trick plays from the offense. Um, yeah. What else do you have to lose? We saw UNC come in in 14 and try about three of them. And that was the only reason it was 71 to uh, what, 70 or 70 to 41 instead of 70 to 21. So, uh, Fun funny story about that game. I'll never forget walking. I was right behind Lincoln Riley walking into the to our locker room, and some fan that was tailgating was like, "Oh, Lincoln, hang hang sixty on him, Lincoln." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And then, sure enough, we put seventy points on him. So, Mm. yeah. 
We want 70. The chants are still ringing somewhere in the, the lore of the Boneyard as Kurt Binkert takes it in for <laughs> for maybe his only ECU touchdown ever. Um, he may be. Yeah. He's uh, living life in Hawaii right now. That's right. He just got hired as a new football analyst for somebody too. So Sleeper. Yep. Yep, that's right. The, the fantasy app. Man, things are, things are getting wild in the media industry. Um, all right, Bobby, back to the topic at hand. Receiver-wise – We've talked about guys we want to see this this season, and I think we're going to see a lot of Josiah Hatfield, a lot of uh, Kerry King, Jalen Johnson, Shane Calhoun. Do you do you have a any pick to click offensively out wide at receiver, or just offensively in general? Like in terms of this guy has to have a good game for ECU to have a shot to score. Or is there just too much unknown right now to even make make that prediction? In my opinion, it's still going to come back to the quarterback. Mason has to have a good game. I know that's not the answer that you're wanting. Um, From a skill position, I would say Shane Calhoun. Yeah. (laughs) I I would say Shane Calhoun, though, if we're going to pinpoint somebody uh, at a skill position outside of quarterback, I think he has to be uh, a threat to catch the football. Um, I think they're going to utilize some stuff, maybe some play-action pass, and just dump it to him. Hopefully he can pick up four to five yards. Um, I am excited to see Jalen Johnson and how they utilize him. That's all we've kind of read out of campus, him moving around and just uh, making plays for them out of the slot. So I'm excited to see how he adjusts to his new role as well as being the guy in the receiver room. Something I found interesting as I looked at last year, in four of ECU's five losses, you can basically pinpoint you know one big mistake as the reason they lost and I think ECU's got to find a way to stay away from that just backbreaking mistake you look at the NC State game I know people want to talk about the Owen Daffer miss kick miss extra point like obviously that was at the end of the game yes it, it is technically why they lost but they also allowed a punt block for a touchdown like you can't you can't give up a block punt for a touchdown against a top 15 team and expect to win Navy, they had the ball. They were across midfield at the end of regulation. Holton Aylers uh, threw probably his worst pass of the season, was picked off. They ended up losing in overtime. That was a back-breaking play. It like they were about to win. Tulane, they were driving to potentially take the lead or tie it. Uh, Holton threw to the back of the end zone. Hatfield, I think it was the intended target. You know, little lazy on the route, didn't come back to the ball, wasn't the best throw, got picked. That was the last turnover of the season for ECU, by the way. Uh, but that was a crucial mistake. Cincinnati, you give up a 100-yard kick return, you lose that game. Houston, I'm not even going to get into that game. That was just a disaster. But four of the five games, Bobby, like that one big mistake against good teams, you can't make them. So that, to me, if ECU makes that mistake early in the game, clearly it can get out of hand. But if you're going to have any shot to win, you can't give up a big kick return, punt block, etc. in a game like this. Ideally, you want that play on your side, right? Exactly. Yeah. Special teams. All There's so few special teams play throughout a game, but they're so impactful. I mean, most of the time we just see a punt, a fair catch, we transition. But when there is that punt block, when there's that punt return for a touchdown, completely alters the momentum on the sideline. I mean, Kirk Dahl used to have a statistic. I wish I remembered, but it was over, you know, 50%. If, if you block the punt, your chances of winning the game increase by like 50% that game. I mean, it's something astronomical like that that you would not expect to be that big of a difference. But statistically, it is. So um, not beating yourselves is going to be a huge deal on uh, Saturday. 
Robert Dedrick on YouTube, he says Jalen Johnson will be lined up versus an inexperienced sophomore nickelback. Yeah, the Michigan secondary does have some some injury problems, Bobby. Uh, we didn't really touch on that. And that's the big, you know, that would be the weakness. They have a question at corner. It sounds like their two safeties are out. And so can ECU even find a way to exploit that is my question. Like, can they even hold up in the pass pro long enough? And that's something we won't really know till Saturday, right? I think so. I think you're right. And I think where they can hopefully maybe expose it early on is in the play-action pass game. If they can try to uh, <laughs> hold those defensive lines uh, neutral a little bit just to, so the, the O-line can get themselves set um, and exploit maybe an inexperienced defensive back eyes are cheating and are in the backfield looking at the play fake and, you know, we can sneak behind them. So hopefully uh, early on we can exploit the, the secondary using play-action pass uh, and boots. I think boots are going to be helpful too because it's going to give Mason the option to either throw, pick up a decent gain, or take off running if he sees fit as well. So I wouldn't be a surprise also in the passing game if we see Mason Garcia getting out of the pocket quite a bit. All right, last thing on this game before we transition to the schedule for college football this week, uh, Bobby. So I, I, I'm i still debating my score prediction, and I'm not asking you to give me a score prediction off the – you know, if you don't want to. But I, I do think ECU is going to cover this game the closer we get to kick off the line. I think it's at 35 and a half or 36. That's a lot of points. Certainly Michigan could run away with it. Um, do you feel like ECU covers, and do they have a shot to to uh, to, to win this football game? I, uh, I'm – Unfortunately, do not think they will cover the spread here. Um, I, I think Michigan is too good. I mean, I know we've played uh, some talented teams here recently. NC State last year was pretty good, um, obviously being a top 25 opponent. We've played South Carolina fairly recently as well. But this is a different beast. This is a different animal in terms of skill level. Um Michigan, in my opinion, is much better than the NC State team that we saw. Um, we're going to have to play a flawless game to, to have a chance. So I hope that happens. I'm going to be rooting hard for them. Um, but, you know, if I were betting my personal money on it, I don't think they would be covering the spread. Well, it's a fair point. I do think it's a great point that Michigan in a national championship title contender is a major difference than South Carolina and NC State. Like, this is a different ball game, and you're on the road. So – Huge differences there. All right, Philip, our producer, had a uh, question, I believe, as well. Uh, Phil, take it away. Yeah, appreciate it, Igo. Um, so I've always been one of those guys that I love to defer to the second half regardless. Do you think if you're Mike Houston you win the coin toss here, you want to have the ball? Because I feel like the longer you can keep the game close, the more you believe in yourself. Is that crazy to think that, like, hey, that one possession, we should have the ball just – that much less time that Michigan has to score. What are you doing if you win the toss and you're Mike Houston? I'm with you. I think you you take the ball offensively. I mean, to your point, if the the worst thing that can happen is you defer, you give Michigan the ball and then they just run it down your throat or gash you for a large gain and then we're in a touchdown drive and then now all the momentum is in their favor and you're playing from behind the eight ball the whole time. So I think to your point, I, th- I think it's a great point. You, you take the ball offensively because even if you can milk some clock and you don't score but you can gain some yards and get some confidence, that's just going to hype up the defense that much more when they go out for their first drive. Yeah, I say take the ball. And I, uh, I remember the 2015 game at Florida. Y'all played uh, roughs last year. Y'all got the ball first. 
tough environment. I don't remember what the spread was, but that was a really good Florida team. Ended up uh, finishing, you know, really good that year. But uh, Blake Kemp and the boys let him down the field, scored Davon Grayson first play or first series, and it was a tight contest throughout after that. So, like, to me, if you do get the ball and you go score, you make that statement that you're here to play. So I, I lean towards that as well. If you kick it and then they go score, like, that just sets the wrong tone. Um, definitely. So that's how I lean as well. The only way they can score without the ball is if you get a safety, and you shouldn't be having a safety after the opening kickoff. Let's hope not. We don't need uh, shades of Super Bowl 50 snapping it over Peyton Manning's head. That's true. Uh, on the first play of the game. new We should have a new center, by the way, Dustin Hall. So hopefully uh, things go well there. All right, let's. Uh, we got a few more minutes with Bobby. We'll get him out of here. All right, Thursday night, tonight, we have legitimate college football. Yeah, we had week zero. There were a couple of good games. But tonight, we got actual competitive football. Florida at Utah is the headliner. But you also got some other interesting games. NC State at UConn is sneaky. UConn made some progress last year under Jim Mora. Nebraska-Minnesota, first game for Matt Rule at Nebraska. You got a couple American teams in action. Arkansas-Pine Bluff at Tulsa and North Carolina A&T at UAB. Anything catch your eye on the schedule, Bobby? Yeah, I think Utah and Florida, the Urban Meyer Bowl is going to be a good one. I think uh, Florida is going to be, you know, a pretty solid team, even though they're not ranked right now. Um, always intrigued to watch NC State as an in-state team. Uh, UConn gives me nightmares, being that we lost to going up there, uh, and I believe that was Russ last year, uh, losing at UConn. And uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, uh, as a Panthers fan, I'm, I'm really kind of hoping Rule gets destroyed in that game. I'm not a big Matt Rule fan, um, but that's going to be a welcome to the Big Ten for him. And, uh, yeah, those are kind of the games that I'm looking for. You had pointed out. I'll probably keep an eye on UAB and Tulsa just being conference, American conference teams. More intrigued probably by the A&T game, A&T-UAB game, being that A&T did beat us up here on seeing how UAB fares in Trent Dilfer's debut. Bring me my money. Hopefully, uh, for UAB's <laughs> sake, they don't hear a similar sound bite. Uh, and then looking ahead, just to Friday, Saturday, you got some other good games as well. Uh, Louisville, Georgia Tech on Friday night, I guess, is a good game. I don't, you know, I don't really know, uh, but it's, it's two ACC teams playing Week One. Um, Colorado, Dion at TCU is a national televised game on Fox on Saturday. Uh, you got, of course, the the big game. I think Florida State LSU play which should be a good one. And, um, you know, it's a decent first week, but about what you would expect week one schedule. So, But it's just good to have college football back, right, Bobby? Absolutely, yeah. And, and also in that slate is Monday night, Clemson at Duke. I'm excited to see uh, Garrett Riley's debut as the offensive coordinator at, at Clemson to see how he fares uh, going into the unfriendly confines of Wallace Wade Stadium. So, yeah, it'll be a packed uh, house full of orange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then we have a big, uh, you know, South Carolina-North Carolina battle Saturday night, which I'm sure will have a lot of eyes. Um, hopefully uh, a lot of people are watching that from downtown Greenville celebrating an ECU win over Michigan. Another sneaky good game, UTSA at Houston. New American team facing an old American team. UTSA, I think, is a slight road favorite, which shows you how good they are. So um, we'll know a lot. You know, obviously, we'll know more in the coming weeks about many of these teams. But for some of these games, we'll find out pretty quickly if Dukes last year was a fluke or are they really that good. 
and uh, a lot of good stuff to look ahead to. All right, Bobby, we appreciate the time on today's program. We'll look forward to having you next Wednesday. We'll have a game to recap, but uh, this was fun, man. Always is. Yep, enjoyed it. Appreciate you for having me, and uh, let's go Pirates. He's Bobby Harward, and he is presented by Subdogs. He'll be back with us every Wednesday at 12 noon. All right, let's get our second break in. We'll come back. We'll hear some comments from yesterday's post-practice. We'll talk about some of that. We spoke to the coordinators, uh, Blake Harrell, Donnie Kirkpatrick. We also heard from head coach Mike Houston. We may talk a little bit more about the week one schedule as well, but stay tuned. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, let's go. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Drink up me, Aussie Joe Ho. On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Hoist the Colors, Thursday, August 31st, two days away from kickoff. ECU, Michigan. Had a great conversation with Bobby Harward, Hoist the Colors analyst. He'll be with us all season long. Dove into kind of what to expect from the matchups on both sides of the ball. We talked, too, with the coordinators yesterday, Blake Carroll, Donnie Kirkpatrick. They did get the practice in before the rain came. Let's hear some of those cuts now. We'll expand on them as well. Blake Carroll talks about the change with uh, Michigan's offensive coordinator being out, Sharon Moore has been suspended for the opener, which means the quarterback's coach, the former OC at Old Dominion from 2020 to 21, will be the play caller. And so we got Coach Harrell's thoughts on that yesterday after practice. Obviously, the, the, new, the new play caller was at ODU, so you go back and look at stuff a little bit in his background. And, um, I think actually going back to our Lenore Ryan days, he was the offense coordinator at Alderson Broaders. He played back in, I think, uh, 2013. So uh, the history there goes back pretty ways. But – I don't think it changes who the players are, who their identity is, or what they really want to do with football. And that's the thing. Michigan, just the more I I talk to people, it just sounds like they're going to line up and do their thing and run it right at them, maybe take some shots down the field, and until ECU proves they can stop it, they're going to be themselves. And so maybe, like we talked about with Bobby, it really only becomes an issue who your play caller is if ECU proves they can stop the run and forces them into some – some situations where the the Wolverines are not too comfortable, where you have to get a little bit more creative, Um, especially against ECU's blitz packages. If you can get them in the third long, that changes some things. Interesting change this year with the rules. In the past college football, the clock has stopped when a first down occurs. And uh, bringing Philip here, uh, Philip Pilkington, producing the show today, I am a fan of this change. I know a lot of people are not, but, man, these games are too long, and I know some people – like the fact that they're long games because they're entertaining but I think as somebody who works the games who has a family they need to be shortened and this helps a little bit what are your thoughts on the first downs not being stopped immediately after the you know after the change are moved this rule should have been changed a hundred years ago long overdue uh college games usually last three and a half hours pro games usually last three hours what's the difference this stupid rule. Now, halftime is eight minutes longer, and that's a topic for another day because I can rant about a 20-minute halftime for an hour. But, yeah, this is dumb. Or Changing the rule is not dumb. The rule was dumb to begin with. I love that they've changed it. I think it'll shorten games probably by four or five minutes. It won't be anything drastic, but, man, it'll still help. I mean, there's so many times you miss kickoff to the next game because the first game runs over. Yeah, it's it's gotten out of hand, and – I don't know how much, you know, they still take too many commercial breaks and still too long, even watching some last week. But it did help, like watching the Navy-Notre Dame game. I know Navy runs the option, which helps, but it just felt a lot cleaner. And the NFL has it down to a science. 
you start at one, you're done by four for the four o'clock window for the most, you know, for 90% of the game. So, uh, yeah, interested to see how it affects the actual games, though. Blake Harrell was asked about that, you know, what advantage, if any, that could provide or if that changes what he's thinking on game day. When we, uh, we get the lead, then that clock just runs as fast as possible and we play as very few snaps as possible defensively. You know, I think, you know, really the big thing for us defensively we looked at is probably going to take about five snaps is what they're estimating uh, average on, on defensively. So if you play an average of 64 snaps, now you're going to play about 59, more than NFL model. Um, but other than that, you know, the clock still stops inside of two minutes, pretty normal there. Uh, so you might play a few less snaps a game. But uh, other than that, it's not going to have much impact defensively, how we, we go about our business or how we uh, maybe call the game or affect things there. So, you know, offensively, those guys may look at it differently, but defensively, you just kind of always react to what you get anyways. All right, the last cut from Blake Carroll is, uh, before we get a break here, he talked about the fact you can't play this Michigan run run game the whole way, or the same way the whole way. And we, we got into that discussion with Bobby earlier. How do you play it? Do you do it aggressively? Do you kind of sit back and react? Blake Carroll talked about that. Cut four, can't play them the same way the whole game. Uh, here's Blake Carroll. You know, they do obviously do a really good job running the football. And, um, you know, got two good tailbacks to do that, a good old line to do that. Uh, so we got to have various ways to take care of the run game. And, and I think, you know, where they get a lot of their running yards, if you go back and watch the tape, is in the second half. They just kind of wear on people and then wear them down in the fourth quarter. You, you'll see a 10-10 ball game. All of a sudden you look up and it's 31-10. And they just kind of wear on somebody. Somebody misses a gap. And uh, they, they have the ability to break it out and take it to the house. Uh, so you got to have various weapons to take in. I don't think you can sit there and, and play them, you know, one way all game, or at least that's not our philosophy right now. All right, there's Blake Carroll talking about how to defend this Michigan offense, and we'll see it firsthand on Saturday, 12 noon. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We might play some Donnie Kirkpatrick as well before we get out of here. Hoist the colors, 94-3 the game. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94-3 the game? All right, welcome back into the program. Final segment on this Thursday, August 31st edition of Hoist the Colors. We are closing in on kickoff less than 47 hours, I believe, or getting close to 47 hours, I should say, officially less than 48. All right, let's hit a few more of these cuts before we get out of here today. Donnie Kirkpatrick, we talked with him after Wednesday's practice, and really the first game of the year is always one of the more interesting because you've got personnel changes possible scheme changes definitely on ecu side you've got a lot of unknown maybe not as much on michigan side but they can still change some things up with some new personnel so donnie kirkpatrick he talked about that cut 10 or excuse me cut nine here about how the first game is always a little crazy here's donnie kirkpatrick uh discussing that yesterday the thing about first games it's always a little crazy anyhow you're kind of sparring at the beginning trying to figure out you know, is that the same team? Like I say, we, we opened up with North Carolina State last year. They had been a great defense the year before. We were expecting a really good defense, which they turned out to be. But you're still getting in there trying to figure out, have they stayed with the same scheme? Have they, have they put in new things? Have they moved people around? And usually they have, and, and they had. And I'm sure Michigan will have some new things for us as well like that. So uh, I think our guys will be excited. You know, I think that's maybe an edge. I don't know how – I mean, they'll be excited to play. They're, they're probably not – their fans are probably not thinking, wow, we're playing East Carolina. You know, whereas our fans and our players are here, and, hey, y'all are going to play Michigan. This is pretty cool. Uh, so, if anything, hopefully we'll be, we'll be excited. Maybe we'll be more excited than them if that's possible. 
Donnie also talked about just the amount of personnel they're using this preseason, especially with, again, they don't have the proven player like an Isaiah Winstead or a C.J. Johnson that's going to be the go-to guy. So they're they're working a lot of personnel. They're working a lot of personnel packages. He discussed that. Cut 10, Donnie Kirkpatrick after yesterday's practice. The game has changed so much anyhow because everybody's personnel and things now. It looks like a hockey game out there anyhow. You know, there's side changes or whatever that thing is. So, you know, we have 10 personnel, you have 11 personnel, you have 13 personnel, uh, you, you know, you have 20 personnel. But now even you have 11 Jari, you know, and you have 11 Juice. And you have, okay, I want this personnel, but I want this player in to make sure, you know, or I want to play these two guys, though they may be listed at the same position. Because, you know, you're a guard, you're a forward, you're, you're a center, you know, you're, you're an infielder, whatever you are now. It's getting more like that. You're, you're a mid-infielder, you know what I'm saying? Or you're a pitcher, but you may start, you may not start. Everybody's doing multiple things. The game has got a lot more open, a lot more basketball-like, you know, like that. A lot of guys can bring the ball down the court now, you know what I'm saying? And we've reached a point in camp, as we continue to roll through Johnny Kirkpatrick uh, cuts here, that you know we, we've seen these guys make plays in practice, and now it's just let's let's get to game day. Let's see who is going to step up on game day. They're all going to get snaps, and you know you, you're going to get more snaps if you make the catch when it's thrown to you. Make a guy miss, prove you can handle this environment. Donnie talked about that as well. Cut twelve. The best players seem to always rise up in these situations, and this is a big one. Here's Donnie Kirkpatrick. The good players usually come to the top, the bigger the situation, the bigger the game, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but we're getting ready to find out because we're going to get tested just like we did last year, though. I mean, North Carolina State proved to be one of the best defenses in the country, you know, throughout the season. And that was after they lost their quarterback. They didn't do much offensively either. They stepped, you know, kept putting people down. So we'll have another tough challenge like that. You know, we'd love to be playing at home. You know what I'm saying? I wish we were playing here. We're playing up there. But, again, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's going to be a better thing. It'll be fun. All right, there's Donnie Kirkpatrick. You can check out the full press conference. Uh, we got it on the 94-3 the game YouTube page. We also got it on the Hoist of Colors YouTube page. So like and subscribe to both of those pages because, of course, for 94-3 the game for this show, every time we go live, you're going to get it on 94-3 the game when we do the Hoist the Colors podcast, which is a separate show. We're going to do that on the Hoist the Colors YouTube page. So if you want access to both shows, subscribe to them both. Hit the little notifications bell. That way you're always alert when we go live. Uh, which will be quite often, obviously every day, 12 noon on this program. But our subscription numbers continue to rise on 94.3 The Game. YouTube will continue to increase those throughout the season. Always looking for your feedback as well. All right, we are closing in on 47 hours until ECU and Michigan kick off in the big house. This has been a very fun show today. Again, thanks to Bobby Harward for coming along for the ride. He'll be with us every Wednesday. Typically had to join us Thursday this week due to Cliff Godwin's appearance, but we'll have Bobby next Wednesday to break down the Michigan game, and we'll also start looking ahead to Marshall. But, of course, we got game day this Saturday, and we got a show tomorrow. Joe Sampson will be back with us, former ECU tight end. We'll get his take on some of uh, Coach Kirkpatrick's comments on yesterday's uh, post-practice press conference, and we'll also get his final predictions for Michigan and continue our roundtable discussion with he and Philip Pilkington. This has been Hoist the Colors. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 12 noon.
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Street